All right. Philippians chapter 3. If you don't have your Bibles, I have it up on the screen. I'm going to read 1 through 11. And then we're going to look at a few marks of a true worshiper and what it looks like to be a true worshiper. Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers. But look out for those who mutilate the flesh. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel and of the tribe of Benjamin and a Hebrew of Hebrews as as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And all God's people said, Amen. So here's where we're going from the text, that God has called His people to be true worshipers who rejoice in and rely upon Him for righteousness Treasuring relationship with him more than anything else. It's Philippians chapter 3. So we have spent some time in Philippians 3 and we've spoken a lot already about rejoicing in the Lord. Paul uses the word joy or rejoicing many times throughout the book of Philippians. The word joy and rejoicing is weaved throughout every chapter in the book of Philippians. And I just want to remind you too, and for those of you who are new here with us this morning, Paul was writing this from uh, prison. He was in jail. He wasn't on the beach, on vacation, sipping on some Sprite, uh, watching the waves going by. He was in jail. He had been, he had gone through many trials and tribulations and persecution for following Jesus, okay? And so circumstances circumstances weren't easy for him or even pleasant for him, but yet he was rejoicing in God and he was calling God's people to do the same. And so Paul's writing this church who had become Christians back in uh, Acts chapter 16, we have the account of the Philippian church becoming Christians. We have this woman, Lydia, who becomes a Christian. We have uh, this slave girl who becomes a Christian, this Philippian jailer who becomes a Christian. And there's this, this diverse church 
that Jesus saves through the preaching of Paul. And Paul gets beaten and thrown in jail in Philippi for his ministry, his gospel ministry there. And him and Silas were in jail singing hymns, thanking God at midnight. They were worshiping God when circumstances weren't pleasant for them. At midnight, and God caused an earthquake to show up, and the Philippian jailer and his family got saved, and the gospel advanced even through the persecution that Paul and Silas had experienced. And so the first point here that I'd like to to highlight is that true worshipers rejoice in the Lord. Paul has already said this, modeled this, and he was commanding the church to do the very same. To rejoice in the Lord. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Um, it's interesting that he says finally here, and he's only uh, in, at the beginning of the third chapter. He still has two chapters to go, right? The rest of three and then four. Finally, my, beloved, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble at all. So Paul commands rejoicing in the Lord. Jesus himself commanded this in the scriptures. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, you'll see commands, uh, particularly in the book of Psalms, a book of worship, a, uh, Psalms of worship, of prayer and praise to God. There's these commands to rejoice in God, shout joyfully, sing joyfully to the Lord. The Lord reigns. Let the earth rejoice. And so rejoicing is an important component of true worship and of the true worshiper. Joy is a mark of the true worshiper. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. One of the characteristics described of those who are following the leading of the Spirit in their life. Somebody who is in relationship with God. Somebody who is truly worshiping the one true God. Joy should mark every one of our lives. As I've said before, it's a sad testimony that many professing Christians and Christians have Look like they've been baptized in pickle juice. We should be the brightest, most joyful people on the face of the planet. Not because our bank account is full and our health is good and our job is secure and our family is peaceful and happy, but because we have this connection with God. Jesus told his disciples after they had were sent out on a mission trip, they were casting out demons And there were some favorable results from their mission trip. And they came back rejoicing that the demons were subject to them. And you know what Jesus told them? He said, guys, that's cool and all, right? He didn't say that, but that's that's kind of the jest. That's great that the demons are subject to you, right? But don't rejoice in this. Rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven, Jesus directed his followers to let their joy be based on something up here, not something down here. A relationship that they had entered into through Jesus Christ. This relationship and our names are written in heaven. We have this secure place with God. And so you and I too should rejoice in this. We should, those of us who are in, in the Lord, who are in Christ Jesus, We have great reason to rejoice. Even if life has thrown you bitter circumstances, 
we have great reason to rejoice. Again, Paul was in difficult circumstances and he's rejoicing and he's calling the people of God to rejoice. Now, this is a command. So because this is a command, there is an act of our will that must be engaged in this. We have to choose joy. We have to be intentional. To rejoice is, is, it's something we, we, we do partly, right? But, but that joy, the, the source and the resource of that joy doesn't originate from ourselves. God is the source of that joy. The Spirit of God produces the fruit of joy in our lives. And so the, the resource of joy is available for all of us. We are all invited to live our lives in the joy of the Lord. And that, that's what it looks like to live out the gospel. When we live lives full of the joy of the Lord, the glory of God is being manifested through our beings. When the outside world sees Christians who have bright countenances, who have happy hearts, joyful hearts, not because their circumstances are good, when, when the world sees that, it's a witness to them that God can satisfy the human heart. It's been said that God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. I believe that. I believe that God gets glory and honor when His children are full of joy. Okay, it's a terrible witness for, for Christians to walk around in sadness all the time. There is a time to be sorrowful. Uh, there will, discouragement will come, but joy and rejoicing should characterize our lives. Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, O Lord, is the fullness of joy. And if you and I are going there as true worshipers of God, we're spending time in the presence of God, then we should take some of that joy with us throughout our day. If we're living our life before the face of God, before the presence of God, in the presence of God, communing with God, walking with God in relationship, then joy should mark our lives. So why is it that so many Christians and professing Christians don't experience this? Why do we lack joy? Now, I must admit that there is a battle to fight in this. The enemy wants to steal our joy. There are many joy robbers uh, that will, will, will take our joy. Sin, of course, will, will steal our joy. Legalism will steal our joy. Trying to serve God in our own strength will steal our joy. Believing lies of the enemy will steal our joy. But we're commanded, this is a command, rejoice in the Lord. And, and he'll say it again. He'll say it in chapter 4. He'll say rejoice in the Lord. You're going to hear this over and over. And it's very simple. It's very basic to Christianity. Paul said in Romans 14, 17 that one of the components of the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What does it look like for when we pray your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven? What does it look like? Well, one of the things it looks like is us having joy. That's Heaven is a place of perfect joy. Okay? And when heaven invades earth in, into our lives, it's going to look like joy. 
regardless of the circumstances. It's been said that happiness is based on circumstances. It's flickle, okay? Everything's going well for you. It's, it doesn't take much for anybody, Christian or non-Christian, to be happy if everything's going well for them, right? But joy is something that's not based on everything going well for us externally. It comes from the inside out. It comes from our relationship that we have with God, the one true God. We rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Jesus even commanded his followers to rejoice when they're persecuted. Matthew chapter 5, when you're spoken evil of falsely and, and people persecute you for righteousness sake and because you're following Jesus, he said rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Why? Because great is your reward in heaven. And that's what they did to the prophets who were before us. Okay, so so true worshipers worship, rejoice in the Lord. Their lives are marked with joy. Um, in verse 2, Paul warns of um, of these, what he calls dogs, evildoers. He says, look out for dogs. Look out for evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in this. I, I touched on this this verse uh, when we were in the book of Galatians, we talked a lot about these guys called Judaizers. They were, they were legalistic guys. They were profess, many of them were professors of Christianity. And they were saying, well, you know, Jesus is great, but you need, you need to keep the law too. You need to be circumcised and you need, you need to do these external things if you're going to really be righteous and really be right with God. You gotta, you gotta do all these external things. And so, Paul calls them dogs, and it's ironic that Paul calls them dogs because Gentiles were the ones who were called dogs in the first century, right? It wasn't Jewish people who were keeping the law externally who were called dogs. And so Paul calls them dogs, and he calls them evildoers. Because, and it's ironic because these guys think that they're doing right. They're pleasing God because they're doing all these external things to try to make themselves right before God. When he refers to those who mutilate the flesh, he's talking about circumcision. Snip, snip, right? And so Paul says, look out for these guys. Look out for these guys. Recently in the news, I don't know if y'all saw it, but there was a guy who was mauled by pit bulls. Or uh, I think it was a pit bull. It looked like a pit bull. And he lost his ears. The people who, who owned the owners of the dog were... were put in jail for for that i I saw wednesday night halloween there were trick-or-treaters actually in our neighborhood who were getting chased by dogs and they jumped up and thankfully nobody was hurt poor trick-or-treaters getting chased by dogs look out for dogs i was jogging i shared this uh, when i was preaching through galatians i was jogging through old east dallas years ago listening to my worship music and i saw a dog on a chain that was barking at me and I thought well he's on a chain I'm fine and then the chain snapped and he started going after me and then thankfully I I saw him and I had good quick reflexes and I bolted to the nearest fence because I know how to hop fences when I'm trying to get away from somebody I went into old school mode and I got so close so close to getting nabbed in the back by a dog and so I jumped over this fence and I landed in somebody's backyard and then I realized there might be a dog in this backyard. And so I'm looking around and I bolted to the fence real quick. Look out for dogs. These are not little chihuahua dogs that aren't going to do any harm. These are vicious dogs that will damage you. 
that will hinder your joy in Jesus. Legalism is a dangerous thing. When you're trying to earn righteousness with God by the things that you do externally, that is not true worship. That's not true religion. That is not Christianity. That's the religions of the the nations, of the peoples. This week, Colleen and I were at UTD doing some evangelism. We were in a conversation with a group of Muslims, five to ten Muslims, and it was a great conversation. These were some of the more devout Muslims that I've spoken with and actually learned a few things, a few more things about their their faith. And one of the things that I pointed out to them is that Christianity is different from other religions, including theirs, because they kept trying to uh, lump our re- Islam and Christianity in as, well, it's the same God, you know, it's the same thing, you know. Um, and and I, one of the things I pointed out to them is that Christianity, we're not trying to work our way up to God and earn righteousness with God by the things that we do. In Christianity, God in His grace comes down and He rescues us. Jesus lives a sinless, perfect, righteous life. And He dies for the sins of the world. The Son of God dies for the sins of the world, is buried, resurrected from the dead. And anyone who puts their faith in Him gets His righteousness to His account. And so it's different. It's not the same. It's not the same God. Many, many Muslims are working. One of the things I ask them when I talk to Muslims is, is who's going to pay for your sins on Judgment Day? Muslims believe in Judgment Day. They believe that God is a holy and just God and He will punish sin, right? And so I asked them, well, you've sinned, right? You've broken the law of Moses. You've lied. You've committed adultery or lusted or hated or whatever. You've, you've sinned, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We've all sinned, right? Well, who's going to pay for those sins? And, and the truth is, if we have to pay for our sins, it's death. It's eternal death. It's separation from God. And so our only hope as Christians is Jesus Christ and Christ alone and what He's done for us, His righteousness. Paul gets to this here in the next section. I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. The second characteristic of a true worshiper is a true worshiper worships by the Spirit of God. Paul says this. He makes a contrast. He says, we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. So uh, I think the NSAB, New American Standard, says true circumcision. In other words, we're the, we're the true worshipers. We're the true worshipers who worship by the Spirit of God. In this uh, translation, the ESV, it's a capital S referring to the, the Holy Spirit. We're not worshiping in our flesh, in, in our doing things our way by our book and our standards. We're, we're worshiping by the energy and the Spirit of God working in our hearts. Remember Paul said in Philippians 2.13, we said this last week, it's God who is, who is at work in you to will and to do His good pleasure. Worship is one of those things that is His good pleasure. He gets pleasure and glory from our lives worshiping Him. And, and the, it's the Holy Spirit of God that ignites us and energizes us and stirs our affections and teaches us to worship God in spirit and in truth. Jesus said in John 4, he was talking to a woman of Samaria and she was confused about what worship, what true worship looks like. And she was more focused on where it was done and more focused on the externals of 
worship. And Jesus corrected her and he said, but the hour's coming is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So worship's really important to God. Throughout the Bible, you will find references on worship from the Old Testament to the New Testament, from Genesis to Revelation. We're created for this. We're designed to be worshipers of God. And if we don't worship Him, we're going to worship something or someone else, right? We're designed to to magnify who He is and value who He is and give honor and, and treasure who He is and worship who He is. And so Jesus said that true worshipers that the Father is seeking, the Father looks for these kind of people. He looks for true worshipers who worship in spirit and in truth. That is worship from the inside out. That's not just externals. So the the dogs, the circumcision folks, they're focused on external forms of worship. There are many people who are going to churches this morning that are focused on some external forms of worship. And if our worship is merely external, then it is not true worship. True worship must come from the inside out. And if we're here and we're, you know, we're, we're in a church that we don't do a lot of liturgy stuff. We do take communion. We sing. But it's possible for you and I in our worship, corporate worship setting here to merely go through the motions and merely sing songs. Uh, we can draw near to God with our mouths and our hearts be far from God. And true worship is something that happens from the inside out. It's authentic. It's real. It's sincere. We're not pretending to be something or say something we don't mean. We're being honest in our communication to God. And we're worshiping God according to who He has revealed Himself to be in Scripture. And the one, the one true God is who we're worshiping in spirit and truth, from the inside out. And so Paul says, we are circumcision. We're the circumcision who worships by the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit of God who leads us into the spiritual activity we call worship. Another mark of a true worshiper is this, is that they, they glory in Christ Jesus. They boast in Jesus. They exult in Jesus. Jesus is our hero. Okay? Just like sports fans get excited about their their quarterback or their their pitcher, their catcher, their home run hitter, their their soccer player, whatever the sport is, Jesus is our hero. He's the one we boast in, we exalt in, we glory in him because he is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is our redeemer. We don't glory in ourselves and our accomplishments. We boast in Christ and Christ alone. Even in the Old Testament, Jeremiah said this. He said, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and he knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight declares the Lord. So true worshipers glory in Jesus, not in themselves, 
Not in their own accomplishments. Not in their heritage, their spiritual heritage, or even their spiritual leaders. They glory in Jesus. Jesus is their ultimate leader. The next one is that true worshipers put no confidence in the flesh. True worshipers put no confidence in the flesh. Uh, last part of verse 3. They put no confidence in their flesh. This is a temptation for you and I. You and I, each of us have skills and giftings and things that we're good at. Things that we're disciplined in. You may be disciplined in, uh, in your finances. You may be disciplined in working out. You may be disciplined in your quiet times. With You may be disciplined in reading your Bible. You may be disciplined in prayer. You may be disciplined and great at how you parent your children. That's great. These are, these are all good things. But these are not the place that we put our confidence for righteousness, for identity, for affirmation, for value. That comes from Jesus Christ and Him alone. Paul says, that we're the true circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Putting confidence in the flesh is in contrast to those who worship by the Spirit of God. Okay, it's in contrast to those who worship by the Spirit of God. The, the Old Testament uh, uh, verse, Zechariah, what is it? Zechariah 4, 6 maybe? Uh, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And man, God just reminded me of this this week. I mean, this is, this is a word for me. It's interesting how many times I'm challenged and tested in the very things I've preached about or am preaching about. And my wife even encouraged me uh, this week in this. Like, don't, don't, she, I forgot exactly what she said, but she said, are you trying to do this in your own strength? Uh, in, in, in regards to uh, the, whole, the whole deal with the, with the building and us moving forward, um, the Lord has graciously provided $27,000 through outside giving. People outside of City Church Garland who've said, we believe in what you guys are doing and have contributed uh, $27,000 so that we can move forward into the space that we're trying to get. And things have been looking good, but then there's been challenges and stuff. And I feel like in some ways I have kind of like tried to get the ball down the road in my own strength. And, um, and this is a reminder that I think we need to keep going back to, that I need to go back to, is that I can't put confidence in my flesh. I can't trust in my ability to make things happen, in my gifting, in my... Uh, Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways and He will direct your paths. Uh, I had a dream this week, actually, um, uh, and the dream was that I we were doing a night of worship. I was telling Kevin and Lori about this. We were doing a night of worship, and we were getting all set up, and we had these, like, huge speakers. Like, we had it all set up. We were jamming and worshiping, singing, and then, like, somebody brought these, like, huge speakers, like these huge, like, big old massive speakers in our little small space, and, like, it 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 short-circuited the electricity and I saw the electricity like dissolving and I was like oh like the the worship service is dissolving here like and it was just I, I think it was a reminder for me to not put confidence in the flesh God you know it's not about having 
you know, a great musical sound that, that makes worship. It's about having hearts that have been stirred by the Spirit of God and that are responding to who God is. I heard a story about a traveling evangelist who went to this little uh, country church. He was invited to preach. So that's, what, that's what he did for a living. He would go around and travel and preach the gospel at different churches. And he went to this little country church. And he was in their worship service about to preach. And he was enduring their worship, or their, their singing time. And he really struggled. Like, he thought to himself, this is terrible. I, he said the, the band was bad. The music was bad. People were off key. And he was kind of complaining to the Lord during the worship time. Like, and he, was, and he said this, who could worship to this? That's what he said. Who could worship to this? And, and he looked over and he saw this little lady who was in tears on her knees, just pouring out her heart before God. And the Lord said, she can, why can't you? She can, why can't you? So worship isn't about having the song right. Worship isn't about everything going smooth in our lives. Worship is about responding to the worth of God and, and coming to Him in faith and finding joy in Him and Him alone. We have a lot of helps with worship these days. I mean, we can just turn on a CD for great music at a, at a nice level, nice sound, as, as loud as you want it, as low as you want it. You can do a fast song, a slow song, uh, and get your praise on, right? And, and even with all those helps, we can totally miss the heart of worship. There was a guy, Matt Redman, and his, his worship team, uh, he's a worship leader and he's written songs. And, and one of the things that they did uh, as a church, as a worship team in a church, was they, they worshiping without music for, for a while. Like they, they, you know, got rid of the instruments, got rid of the music, and then it was like, okay, worship. Can, can you worship without any musical prompts? And if we see, if we, if we compartmentalize worship to just music, then we're going to struggle with that, right? Because worship is so much bigger. It's more about a lifestyle that we live, responding to the worth and the glory of who God is. And so, uh, the song, um, I'm coming back to the heart of worship developed out of that time. So they were stripped of their, their, uh, their musical instruments. And, you know, and, and then they, so they wrote this song out of this sweet time of not having, trying to worship God without playing instruments. Sometimes our instruments can be a distraction to our worship, right? And so he writes this song, when the music fades, when all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth. I'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you require. I'm coming back to the heart of worship and so on. I'm coming back to the heart of worship when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it when it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. You and I shouldn't need a room full of other worshipers to worship God. We should be able to do that 
in our car, in our closet, at the park, wherever we go. This Now, this is a blessing and this should stir our affections and encourage us in being worshipers of God. But we shouldn't rely on our worship towards God should go more than just corporate meetings. It should be something that day to day we're living out. The other thing here we want to point out is in verse 8 through 11 is that true worshipers value knowing Jesus. Entered into a relationship. They have a relationship with Him and they value knowing Him like Paul. He said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. For His sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and that I may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. True worshipers are focused and value, focused on and they value knowing Jesus for who He is. They're responding to who He is. They've got a glimpse of Him. They've tasted and they've seen that God is good. They didn't just hear, hey, you got to go try this restaurant out here. It has good food. They actually went to the restaurant. They tasted the food is good and then they're raving about the food. True worshipers have not just heard about Jesus. They've gone to Jesus. They've experienced Jesus. They've come into a relationship with Jesus. They've tasted and they've seen that the Lord is good and they're just responding. They're savoring that taste that they've experienced and they're going back there over and over and over again. It's their favorite place to feast. Because Jesus is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. The way that we do that, we come and we taste and see that God is good as we come to Him in faith. We come consciously putting our faith in Him. And we experience Him. I love what God does and has done in my heart and in my mind through worship. Through, through me approaching Him with the intention to give Him my heart, my affection, my devotion, my praise, my life as a sacrifice. It's amazing what God has done in my heart. There are burdens that have been lifted off of me when I put on the garments of praise. He gives the garments of praise for the spirit of heaviness. There is perspective, lies that I believe that just seem to diminish as I get a glimpse of how great our God is when I'm worshiping Him. There is joy that wells up within my heart and soul when I choose not to look at my circumstances, but choose to look at my God who's perfect and good and faithful and sovereign and loving and gracious. And joy just rises up within my soul. I've experienced spiritual breakthrough. As I have begun to just sing, like even, even this morning, even this morning, you know, this week has been a difficult week for me, uh, the last past couple of weeks. And I, I could even feel in this, in, the, in our worship service this morning, there was kind of a, a heaviness for us to press through. 
And I've no, I've just, in walking with Jesus for the time that I have, I know that that's time not to retreat and not to just chill and not to just like bail out or check out. But that's time to press in, whether that's happening, happening corporately or whether that's happening personally. It's not time to go to Netflix or go to our phones or go to entertainment when we're having trouble connecting with God. It's time to press in. When the burdens of our soul are pushing us, trying to push us away from God, we should run to God in those moments and let Him lift the burden. Let Him bring the breakthrough. In worship, I've experienced spiritual breakthrough. And it's, it's and for me, it's just like getting a, a, a clear glimpse of who Jesus is, like in that moment. And, and, and so I'll sing, I'll kneel, I'll bow, I'll open up his word and I'll get into his word and I'll seek to obey what the spirit of God is putting his finger on in my life. That's worship. Giving our lives to him in obedience is a sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice. Paul has this resume, but he lists this resume in these, in these verses. Paul was a very gifted guy and he had some good things going on for him. He had some things that he could have confidence in the flesh about, even more so than other people. He says, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised of the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul's value system changed when he met Jesus. When he came into a relationship with Jesus, when he came to know Jesus, all those accolades, those that his pedigree, his resume, seemed to just lose its worth in light of the glory and the greatness of knowing Jesus. What, what kind of accolades do you have? What kind of performance do you have? What kind of good things do you have going on in your life that you are prone to hide behind as your righteousness, as your security, as your identity, as your fig leaves? Adam and Eve did this. When they sinned against God in the garden, they tried to, they sew, they, they tried to sew together some fig leaves to cover their nakedness. And God went looking for them. And they were trying to hide behind their, uh, their, <laughs> their, their, their efforts to cover themselves. Okay, we do that with our, with our skills, with our gifts, with our strengths, with our righteousness, our false sense of righteousness. I'm good because of this. God loves me or likes me because of this. Well, it's nothing because of what we do. It's all because of what Christ has done. And we put our faith in Jesus. And now his righteousness is accounted to us. We didn't earn it. It's a free gift. And Paul comes to that place. He realizes that everything he has, though it may be huge in the eye of the world, in the eyes of the world, especially in the eyes of the Jewish world, the religious world, like, man, this guy has it going on. I'd do anything to get trained where you got trained uh, and have the resume that you have, Paul. But Paul says, I count it all as rubbish, as trash, as dung compared to knowing Jesus. Is there something like that in your own life that you may need to 
change the value, change your, your mind, your perspective, and change your value system about where, where you see something else that you have good in your life as more precious and dear to you than your relationship with Jesus Christ. If there's anything that gets in that place, be diligent to remove it, to repent, to ask God for help, to change your heart. Because knowing Jesus is what matters. I mean, just think the last, the last day that you live, when you're on your deathbed, what are those accolades in that resume? What's that going to mean to God and to anybody else? I mean, nobody's pulling out their college degrees and their trophies and while on their deathbed, like, hey, check this out, guys. Those things don't matter when you're about to breathe your last breath. What matters is your relationship with God and your relationship with others and making sure that there's peace here and there's peace here, that there's love here and there's love here because that's what life is about here on earth. Amen. And so true worshipers value knowing Jesus. Paul says that I may know him. He, count, he counted everything else as dung. He wanted to, to know Jesus. And he did know Jesus. But he wanted to know him more. He wanted to know him in a deeper, more profound way. He wanted to know the power of his resurrection. He wanted to share in his sufferings. That's been said to be the most intimate place of fellowship with Jesus, the fellowship of his sufferings, to know him to the point where you enter into suffering as a follower of Christ because of your commitment to him. There's a sweetness there that, that those who enter into experience. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So we value knowing Jesus here. That's something we're about. We're going to circle back on that. You're going to hear that in some way or another every week here at City Church. We, God forbid that there should be anybody here who hear those frightening words from Jesus on Judgment Day. Depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Knowing Jesus is eternal life. John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. And so I want to ask you today, do you know him? And do you value your relationship with him? Is he priority in your life? Are you seeking him? Are you worshiping him? He's worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of all that we can give. Amen? Let's close here in application let Christ be the reason and the basis for your joy. One of the marks of those who really know Him and those who are really worshiping Him is they have joy in Jesus. He is the, the reason for their joy. They rejoice because Jesus has forgiven their sins. Because Jesus has become their Redeemer, their Savior, their Lord, and His reign has, has come into their hearts and into their lives. So don't let earthly circumstances be the basis of your joy. Let Jesus, let Christ be that. And then rest in his finished work on your behalf. His finished work at the cross, it's finished. It's done. You can rest in that. That is having a righteousness that comes through faith. Is your righteousness based on your faith in Jesus? And can you rest in that? 
or do you need a scramble to try to cover yourself up and, and tell people about how awesome you are at this or that? Or can you just say, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. He rescued me. I'm, I'm saved by grace through faith. Expect and invite the Spirit of God to lead you into a worshipful life. Expect and invite the Spirit of God to lead you in to being a true worshiper, to, to giving your affections to God, your devotion to God, your life as a living sacrifice. Amen? Father, this is, this is not a game. This is real. You are real. In relationship with you and your son is, is a real thing that those of us who are yours have entered into. Father, may we value that and not take it lightly. May we put you first to your voice and obey your voice. And if there's anybody here within the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would draw them to yourself. That you would draw their hearts you would turn their hearts to you. It's been said that a relationship with God, knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill the human heart. I pray that that would happen for us here. That our hearts would be thrilled. That our hearts would be filled with joy because of our relationship with you. That would change everything. I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.